Welcome back to the Pound the Table podcast, and I am your host, the always, excuse me, the NFL always offseason GM, Fred, and got a great show for you here today. Uh, as always, we're going to dive into some of our favorite storylines from week five football action, and we'll also make sure that we do a little bit of a prediction uh, preview of week six and offer up our picks and why we're going that route. And then I also made sure that we got in some NFL coaching stuff on the heels of the big news that came out on Tuesday during the football, or excuse me, Monday during the football game. So we're going to do a, a coaching thermometer where we, we rate the heat on each guy's seat that's currently got the best odds. So be a fun little segment. Uh, but first, we got some big news here. So leading off the show today, there was some huge breaking news that came out of Las Vegas, and there were some very serious allegations about some remarks that had surfaced from the 2011 lockout season uh, between John Gruden, then a Monday Night Football analyst, and some emails uh, that were being distributed to several sources around the league. Uh, I think Bruce Allen was one of the sources named that he was sending emails to with the Washington football team at the time. But uh, regardless, uh, he used a some misogynistic uh, language and homophobic language uh, and many racial slurs pointed at numerous sources from Roger Goodell to players to NFLPA executive Demory Smith. And it's all extremely incriminating. And uh, shortly into the, the Monday Night Football game here tonight between the Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts, we've seen... John Gruden responded to such allegations with resi- resigning as the Las Vegas Raiders head coach, which is huge news. Uh, this is coming off of John Gruden having a good start to the season. He was 3-2. and two. They were kind of on a little bit of a skid after winning their first three. But uh, regardless, they were showing some serious life this year and having some great offensive games. And uh, defense is coming around slightly compared to years past. And uh, when we just kind of look at this, Gruden signed a 10-year contract. His first season, they were 4-12. and His second season, they were 7-9. and His third season, they were 8-8. Eight and eight, And they were off to even better, go better, or excuse me, get better off of that this year. So this is huge news, just groundbreaking news. I'd imagine there's some kind of clause in his contract that allows the Las Vegas Raiders to get out of this with like conduct, or excuse me, conduct detrimental to the team. But regardless, this is one of the the biggest football personalities in the game for the last few couple decades here, uh, winning a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and getting back, throwing his hat back in the ring with the Oakland Raiders here. Uh, he was a very polarizing figure, and this is by no means uh, light allegations. This is some serious stuff. Uh, these are things that you can just not go around swinging the bat saying, especially to the commissioner of the league, let alone any of the players, especially ones that are on your team. Um, as we know, Carl Nassib came out as a uh, being gay this last year, and he's he's throwing on homophobic, excuse me, homophobic slurs like it's just no problem at all. Then that that's just unacceptable in today's culture, just in general. Uh, I I always believe that you need to treat people as you would like to be treated. It doesn't matter uh, skin color, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation. None of that stuff matters. And John Gruden crossed the line today that. Obviously, he can't come back from, and he steps down as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, which I think is appropriate, and honestly, I, I didn't see him having many other options in this, but nonetheless, it's some huge news coming down the, the slate here on a Monday Night Football. 
So getting back to the football from this last weekend, uh, our favorite storylines from the week past, and number one has got to be Buffalo uh, trouncing the Chiefs on Sunday night football. And uh, the Buffalo Bills ended up beating the Chiefs 38-20, to and the game just didn't really seem like it was all that close, uh, basically from the get-go here. Uh, Josh Allen's really having his way with this this Kansas City defense, and honestly, moving forward, I have some very serious doubts about the Kansas City defense. They ended up giving up 436 total yards to the Bills. They're averaging eight yards a play, and I've seen a stat somewhere that at some point, John or excuse me, Josh Allen had nine completions for 261 yards, which is just absolutely bonkers. Like that, that shouldn't even be legal in NFL football. Like I don't know. He's just throwing pot shots to like everybody all around the field. I remember that one touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders, and they come back and he throws another dart out to Dawson Knox. Like there's just weapons all over this Buffalo team, and this offense is just so dynamic with Josh Allen being able to move the pocket with his legs and get outside the pocket and be a runner. And they got two very solid backs in Singletary and Zach Moss. Not outstanding, but they do what they're asking to. And they have an array of receivers, a top-end guy like Stephon Diggs, a guy like Emmanuel Sanders that can really work the middle of the field. They got Gabriel Davis who can stretch the field and Cole Beasley, another guy that can work the middle of the field to pair with Dawson Knox at tight end now. I just... I really like this Bills offense, especially with Dable calling the play. He's one of the best in the league, and he really showed it last night. And like I said, Kansas City's offense is, is nothing to joke about, but I, this this Buffalo Bills team and, and on their defense, they snuffed it out. They they don't allow the big plays. They keep everything in front of them, and now that they got this defensive line that they can just rotate in and out with all these bodies, it is just so impressive. Uh it is getting to be a little bit of a panic time, I think, in Kansas City here. Uh, there's, they're sitting at the bottom of the division. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is still going to do Patrick Mahomes things. He ended up with like 270 yards passing, and they ended up with 120 yards on the ground. But, I mean, this this defense can't stop a nosebleed. I mean, you've seen it last week with the Philadelphia Eagles moving the ball all over them as much as they wanted. Uh, you see it this week with the Buffalo Bills. Just the only difference is now is the Bills had a defense to back it up to stop that offense. And the, their defense didn't stop anybody. So hopefully they get Chris Jones back here pretty soon to, to add to that pass rush. But I have some serious concerns with the, the Kansas City Chiefs moving forward. And they're now uh, two two games behind the excuse me the Los Angeles Chargers for the division lead. And speaking of the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, they had quite the showdown with the Cleveland Browns this weekend. And... That was absolute fireworks by both teams involved. They combined for over 1,020 yards on of total offense, 531 for the Browns, 493 for the Chargers. And basically the Browns were a little more balanced. They were 300 yards passing, 230 yards rushing, while the Bolts were 381 yards passing, 112 yards rushing. And really the story here, I think, is Justin Herbert. This guy's ascension has just been absolutely ridiculous. This guy bursts on the scene as one of the best rookie quarterbacks we've seen in the history of the league. And he just takes right off where he left off last year. And the, the dude threw for 300, 398 yards and four tutties. And he added another on the ground. And he has the ability to just do everything in this offense. He's a, he's a huge body that it's so hard to bring him down in the pocket. And when he gets outside the pocket, he's still got enough athleticism to be really dangerous on the move. And he's got the arm strength where he can really just fire bullets across the entire field. There's no throw that this guy can't make. 
And when you take a look at his weapons he's got, he's got Austin Eckler in the ground game and even in the receiving game. Then he's got Mike Williams who's really come on in a contract year for him to pair with Keenan Allen. Ah, man, that's that's a dangerous duel right there. And then you're looking at Jared Cook at tight end, and then they draft guys like Josh Palmer and this Jalen Guyton that are really just some very key like role players on this team. So I really like what they're doing. And honestly, the most dangerous part of the Chargers that didn't really show up in this game is I've been a huge fan of their defense the last few years, or excuse me, this year. And really, when you take a look at it, they, they really limit big plays, and they really have the ability to keep the game within reach at all points. And they did just enough to basically win the game here this last weekend. And honestly, it's a very quality win just because I think eventually the Browns are going to overtake the Ravens for the division here. They just look like the more complete team than the Ravens. Uh, We'll see what happens on Monday Night Football. As we're recording this, they're just about the halftime. But really... uh, the Browns are still a very solid team, and this isn't this isn't a terrible loss. This is one you can hang your hat on, especially on that rushing game. It's it's very clear that the the duel of Chubb and Hunt is extremely dangerous. They combined for two hundred twenty yards, uh, basically over five yards of carry for Hunt and over seven yards of carry for Nick Chubb. So I really like what they have to do on offense, and really this is without them even getting Odell Beckham involved and having Jarvis Landry out as well too. Uh, they really use the, the t- utilize their tight ends. They got about three of them that they have on their team there that are very quality between Njoku, Harrison Bryant, and Austin Hooper. But the main story here is the Chargers just being able to keep up with the Browns here and really make this into a huge shootout. Uh, this is basically a battle for like one of the top three or four seeds, I think, in all of the AFC. And they show that they re- they really belong in that conversation. And honestly... They might be the best team in the AFC at this point if it wasn't for the Buffalo Bills. And if we turn our attention over to the NFC, the biggest storyline coming out of there, in my opinion, is going to be the Arizona Cardinals remaining undefeated in the lone undefeated team in the entire league. Uh, Their offense last week really showed that they belonged in this conversation of being an elite unit in the entire league. And then this week, they just backed that up by having one of the better defensive performances of the season here. They hold the San Francisco 49ers to 10 points, and really everybody's going to say, oh, well, that's because they had a rookie quarterback out here right now. And honestly, I I think that Trey Lance actually adds a dynamic to that offense that makes them even more dynamic and tougher to account for because he can run all over the field. And on a side note while we're talking about the 49ers, Trey Lance is, I, I knew he was big, from the the pre-draft process but once you got to see this guy on the field he is absolutely massive he's huge he's a cam newton sized and just moves like very well for a dude of his his size but getting back to the game here the cardinals just they just do it all man they got on defense they have a very daunting front seven that makes everybody on the back end look so much better uh between jj watt and chandler jones and marcus goldson excuse me gold golden <laughs> that was that was my bad and in, in, in the intermediate there they got Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins they just add all this athleticism and different kind of dynamic in that front seven I just love what they're doing up front and being able to pressure teams and really change and be multiple in their fronts and then when you look on the back end it's nothing that great but like you have a, the unit with Buda Baker at the top and could you imagine if Malcolm Butler 
hadn't left the team in preseason, this would be this would be a very legitimate uh, defense. I mean, it already is. It's in my opinion, it's a top ten unit in the league. I believe they're ranked like fifth or sixth right now, and they could be even better than that realistically. But I really like that they showed up on offense last week and they said, hey, let's show you why J.J. Watt said that this is a contender this year and showed up on defense this year, or excuse me, this week. So Kyler Murray's really vaunted himself into that MVP consideration and the Cardinals just continue to roll as the 49ers remain a little bit beat up and uh, kind of has some question marks at the quarterback position. Rolling right into our fourth storyline here and this is the game that I had my eyes on for most of the afternoon, but it's going to be the Green Bay Packers and the Cincinnati Bengals at Cincinnati there. And honestly, it was a it was a big time knockdown drag out fight here. Uh, they were tied rolling into the end of the game, and in the last I think it was four minutes of the game into two minutes remaining in overtime, there was like four missed field goals or something like that, and like eight to 10 minutes of gameplay. And it was something that hadn't been seen since like 1991. I think I seen on the broadcast as it was coming out, which is just absolutely crazy. Like Mason Crosby at one point they were talking, he hadn't missed a field goal in 26 attempts. So if we think about that, he hadn't missed a field goal in 26 attempts. And in this game, he missed two field goals to go along with an extra point. He just had an all time, just stinker of a game. And it seems like he has one every year. Uh, Being a Packers fan, I get to be, front seat for every one of them but this one is one he's going to want to forget and when we flip the script here and you see Zach McPherson for uh the Cincinnati Bengals he didn't have much better of a game when we think about it he ended up missing two field goals as well and honestly there was one that was in uh embarrassing fashion where he thought he went in and ends up hitting the flag and I can get where there might be some confusion there but it's that's an all-time blunder there as well but when you look at the, the game as a whole, really the Packers kind of moved the ball at will here. They ended up with 466 total yards. It's just they couldn't capitalize in the red zone. They were really struggling in the red zone, kicking field goals. I think Crosby ended up with like two or three before he ended up missing those couple. And Aaron Rodgers throws a an uncharacteristic interception, and he's already at like his season total for last year or this year. So that's that's slightly alarming in, in its own sense. But like I said, they were really able to move the ball at will. They just really couldn't capital in the red zone, which is, you know, kudos to the Bengals for being able to hold up in that area because the Packers were the number one red zone team, I believe, last year in 2020. But on the flip side, Joe Burrow, I mean, in my opinion, he looked like he looks like he's the real deal as a quarterback. Uh, he shows a lot of mocks. He's standing in the pocket, delivering throws, and him and Jamar Chase have a real connection. Like, Jamar Chase was just catching just huge bombs down the field, just losing defenders left and right and really making the defense pay for not accounting for him on every single play. And they ended up getting a connection for a huge touchdown in the third quarter, I believe it was. The only thing that I didn't like by Joe Burrow in this game was when you were watching in overtime, he had a huge interception that led to the game-winning field goal. Uh, Devondre Campbell, side note, has been absolutely electric the last few games. and He's been a huge addition to this Green Bay defense. But he ends up, uh, Burrow ends up throwing an errant pick. Like, it was literally right to Devondre Campbell. Like, I don't know where he was going with that. I don't know if he was trying to be slick and do like this no-look pass like you see uh, Patrick Mahomes do and all these guys do. But it was not slick at all. And then ends up going the other way and actually winning the game for the Packers. So this one, this is going to be a game that both teams might want to forget um, all around. 
But nonetheless, the Packers sneak away with one. They get one on the road against a team that was a division leader coming into the week. The last storyline from this weekend that we're going to take a look at here is going to be the Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts. So the game last night, uh, we're recording this between Monday night and Tuesday morning, that have, that took place was just a phenomenal game. So Indianapolis comes out. They basically do whatever they wanted on offense in the first half. They looked absolutely astounding, moving the ball up and down the field. Jonathan Taylor looked elite. I actually threw a tweet out there that Carson Wentz was playing efficient. He wasn't turning the ball over. He was getting the ball to check downs. Uh, Jonathan Taylor running wild. He's catching the ball out of the backfield. He's running the ball hard. They looked really good against the Baltimore Ravens defense that's normally very well coached. It's very well sound, and they don't give up a lot of these big chunk plays like they were doing. But last night, they just... Looked like they were outgunned in the first half. And then, I don't know what happened in the second half. The, the defense still was a little bit leaky at the beginning, but they tightened it up at the end when they needed it. And Lamar Jackson is the most special player, maybe in the entire league. I've just, we have never seen anything quite like it. It's it's Michael Vick, but my, with my, if Michael Vick could throw the ball to the middle of the field better. And he's so athletic, and just he can do anything for your offense. Last night, he... It was one of the most impressive comebacks I don't know if I've ever seen in the entire history of the league from since I've been watching for the last 20 years. Uh, he was dealing across the middle of the field, hitting Marquise Brown whenever he wanted, and hitting Mark Andrews, really able to move the ball at will, hitting his checkdowns, and running when he needed to run. There's a lot of times he's, he's up in the pocket, and then he's dipping and diving out of it. He's, he's reverse pivoting out of it. He's just he's so athletic, and he's so hard to just cover up in in all assets of the game it, it was extremely impressive and I actually threw it out there at the end is really if we weren't like having Lamar fatigue he should be the MVP favorite this year uh, he he is absolutely astounding and that comeback he led to get they're down 16 points and they get two touchdowns and two two-point conversions to tie the game up and take it into OT and then basically you knew what was happening if they got the ball in OT. It was whatever they wanted. They moved it at will down the field, end up scoring, uh, throwing the touchdown pass there at the end. So it was it was an impressive game by Lamar. Uh, in my opinion, he should be the MVP favorite between him and uh, Kyler Murray at this point. But the Baltimore Ravens, in historic fashion, come back on Monday Night Football and just keep on moving and retake the AFC North. So this week for our unlikely hero of the week, the the infamous Jameis Winston Award, uh, I, I, it was really tough to decide who I wanted to go with here. There's a lot of a lot of favorites ended up taking home wins this week. So I went the route with the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Denver Broncos, and the Steelers put out a win. But really in this game, I thought the most unlikely hero was Ben Roethlisberger. So the whole mantra, the whole narrative around Ben Roethlisberger the last couple of years is that he's falling off a cliff and that he still can't throw the ball anymore. And this Denver Broncos defense, in my opinion, is top two or three in the league. And Ben threw up 253 yards and two touchdowns against this team on 15 to 23 or 25 for passing, which is pretty impressive. And what's even more impressive on top of that is he had a couple long shots in this one. Uh, headlined by a 50-yard pass to Deontay Johnson. So I know the the big the, the, the cool thing to do here is is to rip on Ben and say, oh, he's got just this noodle arm left over, and 
I don't think that's true. I think he, he had a little bit left in the tank in this one. Going forward, we'll see whether or not. I know he's not as mobile as he's been in the past, but that's what makes him an unlikely hero here. The fact that he pulled something off and beat this defense and was able to be a very efficient passer when nobody thought he had anything left. So Ben Roethlisberger, our unlikely hero of the week here. So rolling right on into our week six picks, we had uh, we got back on the board. We were back to our normal uh, good record last week. We're 12-4 and four on our picks. Uh, this week the buy starts, so there's going to be less games to choose from. It won't be 16 like it's been in the weeks past. But right off the bat, we get a Thursday night football game between the Buccaneers at the Philadelphia Eagles. And really, the, the Philadelphia Eagles defense is just, in my opinion, it's a sieve at this point. I don't really see them stopping just about anybody. Uh, I know that they had a couple good stops last week against Carolina. Sam Darnold came back down to earth and uh, was his normal self rather than what we've seen for the rest of the year. But we've seen what Tom Brady did to my, the Miami Dolphins. I'm rolling with them on this Thursday night matchup on a short week. Moving right on to the next game, it's going to be one of the most unwatchable games this week. It's going to be the Miami Dolphins at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And really, I don't really even know where we go with this. Uh, Miami just comes off a 45-point shellacking by the Tampa Bay, or yeah, by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Jacksonville Jaguars seem to be in complete disarray with what's going on in their front office right now. Uh, this game, I believe, is going to be a London game, so it's, it has an 8.30 start time, so it's a little bit early if you're going to get up and watch this one. But honestly, uh, you could just basically spin it around and pick whichever one you want. Uh, I, it's a pick at this point. I don't really know where we're going. I'm going to go Jacksonville Jaguars just because it seems kind of like they have the Monday night, or excuse me, the home turf advantage playing in London every year. So I'm going Jacksonville over the Dolphins. Next up is going to be the Vikings at the Carolina Panthers. And honestly, this is a this is a sneaky good matchup just because both teams are in, I wouldn't say must-win situations, but it, it's going to be a little bit dire straits for both teams. I think the Vikings are currently 2 and 3 or are they 3 and 2. I believe 2 and 3. And the Carolina Panthers are 3 and 2 coming off a big loss to the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles that they should have won. And really, uh, what I've been most surprised about is the Vikings have struggled to score points as of late. And normally their offense is kind of their calling card behind Dalvin Cook, who's been on and off hurt, and then Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen with Kirk Cousins. And Carolina, it sounds like they're going to get Christian McCaffrey back this week. He's going to try to give it a goal. I'm guessing they would try to limit him rather than just throw 35 touches at the guy like they have been planning on doing in the past. But... I'm going to stick with the Panthers here. I think they're going to bounce back. I think that was a tough loss for them last week. I think you're going to see a, a different team going up against this Minnesota Vikings offense, and this defense is going to get back to its its fast play and normal self. And then with Chris McCaffrey back, you'll see them have a better ability to score points. Uh, the seat for Mike Zimmer is going to continue to get hot as the Panthers go over the Vikings this next week. Looking forward next to the next game here. This is going to be possibly the game of the week, in my opinion. We're looking at Los Angeles Chargers at the Baltimore Ravens. And really, this is a huge matchup of division winners. It's going to have huge playoff implications. Both teams are 4-1. And when I take a look at this matchup, 
I think it's more about what the Chargers are going to do to stop Lamar than it is about Lamar Jackson. Because we've seen what Lamar's doing when we knew he's getting the ball. When he knew he's going to be cooking, we knew he's going to be just dealing around the, the block here, trying to figure out what's going to win him the game against Indianapolis Colts. And when we take a look at this game, San Diego Chargers defense has looked really, really good. But then they've also looked really, really bad. I.e. last week, we got to take a look at. And Cleveland ran the ball all over San Diego. And what do we know Baltimore wants to do? They want to run the ball. So I really think that's that's the matchup we're going to see here. How do you contain Lamar? How do you contain this running game? If they can figure out a way to do that, I'm taking the San Diego Chargers. And honestly, after watching Carson Wentz carve up that uh, Baltimore defense for the first three quarters... I have no problem saying that Justin Herbert can do something just as good, if not better. So San Diego, excuse San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers over the Baltimore Ravens. Rolling on right into the next game here. It's going to be the Los Angeles Rams against the New York Giants. And the New York Giants have been completely decimated by injuries. Uh, Danny Jones suffered a concussion on Sunday. And then Saquon Barkley, we all know about his ankle injury. Uh, Kenny Galladay ended up leaving the game with a knee injury, and they already had a couple wide receivers out. So there's a very serious uh, injury woes in Big Blue. So when we take a look at this game, I think the Rams, it's going to be an easy walk for them to go on the road here and get a dub over this team that's just barely flailing to even stay competitive in this uh, NFC environment. So I'm going to go with McVay. And the Stafford-led Rams are going to light it up against the New York Giants this week. The next matchup that we're going to be taking a look at here is going to be the Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. Or, excuse me, it's the Houston Texans at the Indianapolis Colts. And as we just talked about, the, the Colts kind of had a tough break on Monday Night Football. It's really been a tough break for the entire year for them. But I, I thought they showed some really encouraging signs of being able to move the ball I thought their offensive line really looked dominant in that game. And really when you're going against a team like the Houston Texans, most of the time the Texans are going to be undermanned and outmatched by these teams. And this is one of the few where they can normally match up pretty good. But I love the life that the Colts showed on Monday. So I'm going to roll the Colts here over the Texans. As long as Davis Mills is still at quarterback, I'm not overly confident they're going to get the job done right into the next matchup it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs at the Washington football team so the Washington football team has been kind of hanging in there being kind of one of these feisty teams uh, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick's been out with an injury and really when I take a look at this team I, I like how they match up in the east the only team that gives them fits most likely is going to be the Dallas Cowboys but when you're going against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs they're an absolute juggernaut they're uh, an offensive behemoth that's going to be able to try to impose their will on you offensively. Defensively, I think they're going to be able to do whatever they want after watching what the Buffalo Bills and Philadelphia Eagles have done in back-to-back weeks here against the Kansas City defense. But I just don't think they have enough firepower to keep up with Patrick Mahomes on offense. Taylor Heineke, great story. Uh, I don't know how, how long it lasts here in Washington. So I'm going Kansas City on the road at Washington. Right into the next matchup. It's going to be the Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears. And there's a lot of a lot of hoopla around the Bears at the moment about 
Matt Nagy and his ability to call plays and who really gets the credit here and oh, is is this looking up? Is it going to be better? Is he going to save his job? And I don't. I'm still not impressed. With that. I think they beat the Raiders 20 to nine, and like Justin Fields had like I think it was one touchdown pass. I mean that. That, that ain't really turning the needle for anybody. When you go against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, you need to put up, as we've seen last week, at least like 30 points. If you if you want to be competitive and try to beat them, it's got to be 30 points. Because you've just seen the Bengals take them into OT with 22 and not to get the job done. So I don't think they have enough firepower on offense. And we know that Aaron Rodgers has owned the Bears in years past. So I'm going to Green Bay Packers here uh, pretty easily. I'll be very curious to see how that Green Bay defense holds up with everything that they're losing against a, a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields. It'll kind of be like a little snapshot of what the future's going to look like here in the, in the NFC North. The next game that we're going to be diving right into is going to be the Bengals at the Detroit Lions. So, honestly, uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the presser with uh, Dan Campbell after the game on Sunday, but he's a, he's a very... Uh, very emotional guy. He's very dedicated to his players. He he really wants to win there in Detroit, and you almost feel for the guy and the team as a whole. It's just they keep losing in these just incredible fashions where they they kick 50 some plus yard field goals where the odds are like less than 20 percent, and they keep losing. And I mean, one of them for God's sakes was an NFL record. Uh, those are two just awful beats, and really they get a home game here against the Bengals that took the Packers down to the wire and really made it look tough for them and I mean if if Detroit can play tough they can hang in this one I really want to pick Detroit I really want to pick them at home here I I'm really struggling not to but I'm going to stick with the uh, Burrow and the Bengals I think that they did enough last week against Green Bay to keep the momentum rolling here and get back on the winning track against Detroit so Bengals on the road at the Lions, I'm taking. Next game is possibly game of the week. I, I know I said that with the Ravens and Chargers earlier, but I think this one's even better. Uh, when we take a look at it, we get the last undefeated team in Arizona going to Cleveland to take on the Browns. And this is going to be a huge test for Cliff Kingsbury and uh, company. They're really going to be able to see what, they, what, what they're made of. This is a team that plays everybody tough. They played the Chiefs tough and lost them tough on week one they played the Chargers tough this last week put up 41 42 points against them so we're going to really see what the Cardinals are made of this week like I said uh, in the opening segment the Cardinals they have the offense that can score with anybody and they have the defense that can just about stop anybody and I I think that's going to apply this week I think it's going to be I think it's going to be tough it's going to be tough sledding for the Cardinals and really I'm I'm going to go the Browns here. I'm going to go the Browns in a get-right game. I think it's going to be on the road at Cleveland. So the Cardinals are going to have a little tougher time. It's not going to be their home crowd. And really, I think they're going to find a way to contain them with some of the pieces they have on defense. Miles Garrett, uh, that defensive front. And then you got JOK on the, in the middle there. I think he's going to be able to do like some kind of unique spy on Kyler where you get some guy matched up with him athleticism-wise. And on the outside, they do have the corners that can keep up with these guys defensively. They got Ty Hill, they have Denzel Ward, they got Greedy Williams, who looked really good. I think that they're going to be able to put on a show, and if they get Greg Newsom back, that's another guy that they can throw into the mix as well. 
So I'm going Browns over the Cardinals, and we see the last unbeaten team fall this year. Next matchup that we're going to be going into is going to be the Dallas Cowboys against the New England Patriots. And honestly, this one probably had a little more sizzle before the season started. But now that we're looking at it here, I don't. This isn't a matchup that does it for me either way. Uh, the Cowboys have looked really good. The Patriots have looked really bad at times. And honestly, it's a huge pivot point for the Patriots here because if they lose, they're going to be, I believe it's 2-4. and four, And your playoff prospects go down significantly at that point. And the Dallas Cowboys have a lot more to play for here. They're division leader. Uh, they can get a commanding lead on this division, especially with Washington losing if we, as we predicted earlier. So I'm going to go to the Cowboys on the road at New England. I just think this offense is too much. They have a very opportunistic defense with Trayvon Diggs already having six interceptions on the year. So I'm going to roll the Cowboys over the New England Patriots at Foxborough. And then the Sunday night game, we have the Las Vegas Raiders at the Denver Broncos. And I know we hit it right off the top of the show about the John Gruden news, but this is a team in disarray right now. Uh, you can't lose your offensive identity and play caller and John Gruden on a short notice like this and expect to be competitive this coming week. I I have extremely low expectations for or excuse me, Las Vegas at Denver. It's already tough enough to play at Mile High, and Denver's coming off a tough, tough, tough loss to Pittsburgh last week that nobody's seen coming. So I'm gonna roll with the Broncos over the Raiders here. And it, it might it might get out of hand, and this defense might suffocate this this Raiders uh, offensive game. In the next game here, we're going to see the Seahawks at the Steelers, and this is actually a sneaky good matchup as well. To it, I believe the Steelers are three and two, and the Seahawks are two and three. So it's two ball clubs that. Well, actually, I. Should, I totally forgot that Russell Wilson isn't playing this one, so I take back anything I say about this being a good matchup. You get the Geno Smith show at Pittsburgh. Normally this would be have some pretty good uh, sticker value on this one, but with Russell Wilson being out, honestly, I was tempted to pick the Seahawks here until I remember that Geno's in. So I'm I'm gonna go with Pittsburgh. There's no I'm, there's no way right that Geno Smith is gonna be able to move this the ball against this Pittsburgh defense. This is a tough defense. And Geno Smith is playing some of his first football in years. Uh, I don't remember Russ ever missing significant time since Geno's been there. So I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers at home over the Seahawks. And then our Monday night matchup is going to be Bills at the Tennessee Titans. And you could almost copy and paste what you've been saying about the Titans all year here. Their offensive game, dominant. They run the ball. They, they take care of the ball. They score points. Uh, hopefully they can get A.J. Brown and Julio back here at some point. But that defense, whew, defense is not good right now in Tennessee. Uh, they're, they're giving up points to just anybody and anybody who wants them, anybody and everybody. So I'm going to roll with the Bills, especially how dominating they've been in a lot of these football games lately. I think that th this one could get ugly on Monday night. I know it's a, it's a primetime game. Teams normally show up to play. But it could get ugly, and it could get ugly fast, especially if Bills get out to a fast lead like they did against Kansas City. So Buffalo Bills over the Tennessee Titans. So for our last segment today, we're going to do something else. But uh, with the John Gruden news coming down 
and kind of how this affects the rest of the coaching carousel. I wanted to do a a segment we're going to call our coaching thermometer. So basically, we're just going to uh, dial up and see how hot the heat is on each one of the coaches in the league right now are basically the ones with the highest odds to be fired. So courtesy of Bet Online, I took the odds that they have presented us with and made a case for each one. And the first one and the highest odds to be fired first is going to be Urban Meyer with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So currently Urban Meyer is in his first season as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. And right now their offense ranks 28th in scoring, 21st in yardage and 29th in points scored, and 28th in yardage. So, honestly, I don't really see how... I mean, I can see how he's the favorite with all the hoopla surrounding his uh, weekend away in Columbus after their Thursday night football game, and kind of just all the, the, the oddities he's been doing since he's gotten the job, uh, from hiring the strength coach that has a very uh, checkered background when it comes to him and his athletes and his minority athletes and just the the overall attitude towards the football program, the whole Tebow experiment. It just they're not seeing the results that Urban's used to. And I think everybody thinks he's really quick to to jettison here. Uh really with his contract, I'm guessing that the cons wouldn't want to get rid of him after one year. They may be forced to if he just continues on this trajectory of uh, self sabotage. But Really, I, I can't see him being the first one being let go. In the history of, or I shouldn't say the history of, the last few years here, the, the league averages about six coaches that get fired a year or that are replaced. And if we we go by that math, I think Urban will be one of them. I just don't think he's going to be the first one fired. I think it's going to be like a mutual parting at the end of the season where they can try to get off some of this uh, this contract money. So Urban Meyer currently with the best odds and Really, I'd be curious to see how Bet Online is going to pay this out. Is if I don't think he's going to get fired, I think it's going to be something where he voluntarily steps down. So I don't know how that affects uh, their odds and how their their payouts work. But nonetheless, he's first on their list. So next on the list is going to be Matt Nagy of the Chicago Bears, the head coach, and this is honestly my favorite. To get fired first. This is the one that I would take. Uh, Matt Nagy's been the, the head coach for the Chicago Bears for the last about four years here. And really, he was uh, previously with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, when they first selected Patrick Mahomes and let him sit behind Alex Smith for a year. And when we take a look at him, he, he really hasn't been this huge offensive girl that he was hired to be. His offenses have really been squandered as of uh, recent and really just don't live up to the hype. And now that they have Justin Fields in tow and his refusal to play him through the first four weeks of the season in favor of Andy Dalton is really has been his indictment. And currently the Bears, as it stands, are 30th in points scored and 32nd in yards. Uh, their defense has been very solid over the last decade here. But if we take a look at their offense previously, they're 22nd last year in scoring, 26th in yards, 29th in both scoring and yards the year prior. And then the year before that, we're looking at 9th in points and 21st in yards. So you can see they've been in the top 10 once in scoring and really haven't been much for yardage. And it's it's only gone down. Uh, 
they really haven't finished well under Nagy, and it, it kind of seems like they're they're losing that team a little bit there. I know you can say that they've won a couple in a row here, that they got new life under Justin Fields. Justin Fields threw one touchdown pass last week, and he's really only got one on the year here. Uh, they're, they're barely scoring 20 points a game. Their defense is keeping them in it. And really, I think you just need to speed up the process here before you ruin Justin Fields. It's been rumored that he's given up play-calling duties already to his uh, OC, Bill Lazor, which is all great and dandy, but, I mean, I'm still not seeing this huge leap and bounds of better offensive play. I think he's had well enough time to get his uh, get his situation figured out here, and I just I think that it's better to cut big now than it is to, to wait and wish he did previously. So... Matt Nagy's number two on the list, and I think, honestly, he's he's the most likely to be fired next. So next on the, the odds list for the coach most likely to be fired is Joe Judge, and Joe Judge is currently the head coach of the New York Giants. Uh, his New York Giants currently rank 28th in yardage, or excuse me, 31st in yardage and 31st in points. Uh, that doesn't seem quite right. Let me just get into the stats here. I apologize. Should have had this ready to rock for you guys. But Joe Judge is previously of the Alabama Crimson Tide. He was previously under Bill Belichick as a special teams coordinator at both stops. So he's kind of got one of those uh, CEO roles that um, everybody's been looking for to not necessarily be a play caller, not necessarily be running the defense but to kind of oversee everything as a big picture. And he has kind of a harder approach. He, he, kind of, he comes from the Belichick tree, so he's really, he's really hard on his players. He really expects a lot of them, it, all the laps and the conditioning, and we all know about that stuff that goes on during training camp. But it, it seemed like it was, it was getting the players to go in the right way here. But when we take a look at their ranks, uh, offensively they're 20, or 12th in yardage, so that was correct, and 23rd in scoring. And on defensive side of the ball, that they were considered to be one of the better units this year, uh, coming back from off of last year, a strong year. It's 26th in scoring defense and 29th in yardage. So that's that's the side of the ball that's really struggling. Uh, they're they're not quite doing as good as they thought they would be. It's not really even much of an improvement over last year, where we take a look and they were ranked. Excuse me. Uh, 31st in scoring on offense and 31st in yardage, so we see a slight bump there. But on defense, they were 9th in scoring and 12th in yardage, so we almost, we're seeing them fall off a little bit here. And you could say that's due to injuries, but uh, really the side of the ball that's fallen off is where all the injuries are, like with Saquon and the wide receiver core and Danny Jones. So I don't necessarily think that Joe Judge is really on the hot seat just yet. Uh, the the main reason I'm I'm not buying into it is mainly because he never really got to select his quarterback. He he basically was inheriting Daniel Jones from the previous regime, and it I don't know if he necessarily has a stamp of approval unless there was some kind of handshake agreement when he first agreed to the job. But I'm just not buying that he's going to get behind a guy like this that was such a huge reach when he was selected. So that's my opinion is I don't think Joe Judge is really going to sign off on this. And I don't really see him necessarily being that, having that hot of a seat. So 
Joe Judge, third best odds. Not necessarily buying into that one. Now, if we were in 2022, it may be a different story, but we currently aren't. So I'm, I'm sticking with Joe Judge not quite being on that hot seat. The next name on the list here is going to be Vic Fangio. And Vic Fangio uh, was previously a defensive coordinator, excuse me, with the Chicago Bears before taking the Denver head coaching job. And really, when we take a look at it here, oh, excuse me, I just haven't been able to catch my breath here. But when we take a look at it here, Vic Fangio is well known for having very, very stout defenses. And this year has been really honestly not much of a difference. Uh, he's really been crushing it. He's been crushing it since he came to Denver as well, too. It's just been the struggles on the offensive side of the ball to really feel the team that's competent enough to complement this defense. And the main culprit has been the quarterback. And Drew Locke has proven that he's not the he's not the Lord and Savior that they were expecting him to be. And Teddy Bridgewater is a capable replacement, but they just haven't been able to support him with the, the the offense around him to support this defense. And speaking of the defense, they are third in yardage and second in scoring as the offense kind of falters behind at 18th in yardage and 24th in scoring. So they're still currently sitting at 3-2, and two, I believe, and that's good enough for like second or third in the AFC West. But... I don't really see him having that seat that hot. We got to be able to make sure we, him and Pat Shermer, get a guy in here that can run this offense. He, like, I think Teddy Bridgewater's perfect. Let's keep him healthy. Let's keep him upright and run this offense efficiently. And you're going to see a team that's going to finish at least over 500. And honestly, I think that's going to be good enough for the playoff picture in the AFC. So I don't really think Vic Fangio's seat's that hot either. He's got the fourth best odds online currently, but I'm not buying that. Which brings us to our next name. And honestly, I'm I am buying into this one. I'll preface that right off the bat saying and Mike Zimmer is currently the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't think his seat could be any hotter than what it is. Uh this is a team that has extremely underachieved as of last year and completely under Mike Zimmer. He's made the playoffs a few times here. It's at least twice, three, two, three times here as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And he's been the coach since 2014. So if we're doing the math here, he's got three playoff appearances in, what is that, almost going into his eighth year. And he really doesn't have much to show for it. He's uh, got a record of five, two, or yeah, five and three. So... I'm not really, or excuse me, two and three. So that's not really that impressive. He's not really winning a ton of games. One of them came on the Minnesota Miracle. That shouldn't have even happened in the first place. And honestly, this this Vikings defense has just never lived up to what it has been in his early years. It's very, it's very up and down as of late. And currently, as we sit here and take a look, uh, the Viking defense is ranked 17th in yardage and ninth in points allowed, which is not bad. But last year they were at 29th in points in, excuse me, 29th in points and 27th in yardage. And that's not, that's not good enough for this guy that's, it's touted as his defensive genius. And really the revolving door they've had at cornerback is almost embarrassing. Uh, they continue to spend these selections on guys like Jeff Gladney, who gets in these off the field troubles and is off the team or 
Mike Hughes, who just doesn't live up to the, the selection and gets shipped out to Kansas City, where he, he's now a contributor for their team. So I just I just don't get it. I I think Mike Zimmer, his message is getting stale there. We've seen the same thing with guys like Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. And it just, when it's time, it's time. Same thing with Dan Quinn in Atlanta. When it's time, it's time. And really, I, th- I think it's time for Mike Zimmer. I think if, if they have a losing season, if they miss the playoffs, he's out. And it's really looking like they might this year, uh, starting off two and three. So moving on to the next uh, most favorable coach here to be fired. And there's always a surprise candidate that nobody's really expecting for them to part ways. But it very well could be a possibility. And that's going to be Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins. And Brian Flores is currently the head coach of Miami Dolphins, previously with the New England Patriots as an assistant coach. And like I said, there's always that one firing that nobody really sees coming that's that's kind of out of left field. And honestly, I I am in the camp that had huge expectations for the Miami Dolphins this year. And really, they just have not lived up to them. They started off 1-4, and four, and I honestly thought that this was going to be one of the, if not the best, defense in the league. And really, right now, they're sitting at 30th in points and yards allowed, which is not even close to what I was expecting. Uh, they were 6th in scoring defense last year, and they were 1st in turnovers. And they're not even going to sniff those numbers currently as it stands. And you take a look last year, they, they definitely overachieved last year going 10-6, and six, but they missed, They still missed the playoffs, and they were just on the outside looking in, and they were 5-11 the year prior. And I know Brian Flores has this huge track record of being this player's coach that guys love playing for, but there comes a time where you just got to see some results, and now you're in your third year, and if they completely bottom out this year, I could definitely see Brian Flores being one of those guys that's like, yep, it's it's time to get out of here. It's time to, it's time to get off of this here. So with having the six best odds, he he definitely falls under the list of I could see it happening, and he would definitely would slot in as one of the six aver- or the average of six coaches that are fired a year. So Brian Flores definitely think that seat's hot, and I think six is a little bit low on this list. I could see it being more like four or five. Next up is going to be uh, Motor City Dan Campbell, as the the guys from the Pat McAfee show like to say. And Dan Campbell was a previous uh, assistant head coach with the New Orleans Saints. He came over to the Detroit Lions, and they're currently sitting at 0-5. He's in his first year. I'm honestly not buying this for a second, unless Dan Campbell's going to do something crazy that we have, we're not expecting out of left field. But Dan Campbell, it seems like he's really won over this locker room, and he's really trying to instill the culture that he wants of this never-die attitude. And it seems like he's really out there to really fight for his players. Like, he wishes he could suit up right now and probably jump on that field and take a couple punches for them. Uh, they've been in every game they've been in, which is more than they could say into the Matt Patricia era. And really, I th- I think that's a testament to his coaching. It's it's a testament to the culture he's building there. The guys want to play for him, whether they're winning or losing. And obviously, everybody plays to win. But it's really being able to rally that locker room when you are losing that's going to keep guys fighting for you. And I think Dan Campbell's got that. I think he's definitely going to succeed, and I don't think he has the seventh best odds of being fired. I think he's just getting started there. He's in for the long haul. Next on the list here is going to be Frank Reich of the Indianapolis Colts, which this also is a a very curious uh, selection here for the list. Because when we're taking a look at it, Frank Reich... um, he was on that staff with the Eagles prior to coming to the Colts where he was the quarterback's coach under Doug Peterson. He was a big-time uh, influence under Carson Wentz when they won the Super Bowl and helping Nick Foles get carried along. 
and he's in his fourth year as the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. And his first year, he's ten and six, and then he's seven and nine his second year, eleven and five his third year, and he's kind of getting stumbling off the start here. He's one and four, but he has three playoff games under his belt. He's one and two in three playoff games, and I honestly I think. They're kind of in this transition transition period where they didn't want to go spend out big for a quarterback uh, just because that, as Chris Ballard said this offseason, that kind of puts a ticking clock on him. So they go out and they get Carson Wentz, a stopgap solution, but they do spend a first-rounder on him, so there is some expectations with them. And honestly, I don't think Carson Wentz has looked that bad. And when we take a look at how he did on, excuse me, Monday Night Football last night, I honestly thought that was the best he's looked since those good days in Philly. I thought he looked really efficient. Uh, Honestly, the defense was the issue there. They couldn't contain Lamar to save their life. But really, I think he's got this team moving in the right direction. And I do believe, and I could be wrong on this, so please feel free to correct me if I am, but I know Chris Ballard signed an extension, and I believe uh, Frank Reich also signed one this off season. So obviously he has ownerships, of, uh, approval here and they're not going to sign him to an extension if they really didn't believe in him. So I really don't think Frank Reich seats all that hot. Uh, obviously it's a different story if this team only wins two games and they just completely flop this year. But honestly, I think they're going to have a get right period here. They were hanging with a really good, uh, Baltimore team. That's like four and one right now. So I, I think that they're going to come back. They're in a very winnable AFC South. They can battle back and try to compete with the Titans for that division crown. So Frank Reich being on the hot seat, also not buying that. So currently we're through the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, coaches listed on here. And really I'm only buying that three are on the hot seat currently. And that's Urban Meyer, Mike Zimmer, Brian Flores. So if you do the math there, that's three out of eight. Uh-uh. We got to try to come up with at least two or three more coaches here because that's on average six guys. So we hop down the list here, and you got Ron Rivera has the ninth best odds of being fired this season. And really, this is one that would be very peculiar. Uh, The only thing that's stopping me from agreeing with this is this Washington team is big time overachieving uh, with Taylor Heineke under center. They're winning games that they have no business winning, and they're winning games and staying in games that they have no business being in. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was expected to be at the helm here, and he's really just been gone. And it's a testament to their team that this offense is moving as it is. They're really sticking in it. They're really competing. If you take a look at it as currently, they're – excuse me. I apologize. I'm trying to see what they are in points. They're 12th in points scored, and they're 20th in yards. So they're moving the ball, they're scoring, and they're competing in the East is the big thing. They're currently, I believe, 2-3, and three, but that's really only two games out of first place. I know Dallas this kind of seems like a, a juggernaut right now, but I definitely think that that's something they can right the ship, especially having a division with the Giants and having a division with the Eagles where you're going to get a couple wins under your belt there. So I don't think Ron Rivera is necessarily on the hot seat. I think if we had the same discussion next year and they just can't seem to quite get that quarterback position right, uh, his seat would definitely start heating up. But I just can't see unless they completely just slide to the end here and it's just an absolute dumpster fire with him being fired. Next on the list is going to be Zach Taylor. 
And honestly, the Bengals have been one of the darlings of the, the season early on here as they are currently 3-2 and two in previous division leaders before the they lost this week and the Ravens won. But they honestly <laughs> have come a long way compared to what everybody was expecting them to be. They are currently ranked 18th in offensive point or offensive scoring, so points scored, 25th in offensive yardage, which isn't all that great. But on defense, they're 7th in points allowed and 11 on yards allowed, which is a huge improvement over what they've been in the past. So I think that that's a, a little bit of a testament to the coaching here. Zach Taylor's finally getting his stuff in place that he wants. He's in his third year, and honestly... If they if they start to falter here down the down the line and they start to completely belly flop the remainder of the year, I could see Zach Taylor being out just because. Like we take a look here, what have, what has he done? Uh, they select Burrow and they can't manage to keep him upright around him, and he's constantly getting thrown around. He's a ton of weapons, but it, it doesn't pay to have all these weapons if you can't deal the ball out to him. There's been some serious. Uh, upswing on the defense this year but his calling card is as an offensive guru he worked under Sean McVay previously as a quarterback's coach and he got this gig to be this dynamic offensive mind and the offenses just have not been dynamic they haven't been able to get the best out of Joe Burrow and honestly it may be an overreaction but they are three and two he is a winner currently but I see if this Bengals team ends up finishing the year with like only four or five wins, I could see Zach Taylor being out. Uh, I also see that being very difficult as they already do have three wins. So that would mean that they're going to finish out the year two and eight. But it's it's plausible. And honestly, we got to get to six somehow on this list. And he's going to be one for me. So Zach Taylor, 10th best odds to be fired. Number four on my list that actually makes it plausible. Next up is going to be Robert Sala with the New York Jets. Uh, this is going to be a similar situation to the Dan Campbell one where he's come in and he's this huge culture guy. He's this huge high energy face that's always been a winner where he's been. And he comes into New York in a, a complete rebuild. And they have this new quarterback, this new flashy quarterback, high draft pick. And honestly... Sala is known for his defensive prowess and being this, this CEO leader. And this New York Jets defense is definitely performing above expectations. It's just the offense. I think everybody was expecting Zach Wilson to be this high-time gunslinging uh, quarterback that can really stretch the field and make all these dynamic plays and take this offense to a new level. But as it is with rookies, everybody's got to temper their expectations. They're not going to come out of the, the gate just absolutely swinging. They got to be able to get their feet underneath them. They got to get their feet wet. They got to be able to establish themselves in the NFL before they become this dynamic playmaker. And there's been some growing pains under Robert Sala. But like I said, I, I think it's it's pretty well agreed upon that this is a this is going to be a rebuild. This is this is in for the long haul. This is going to be a, a two, three-year project before they're going to be really competitive. And I don't really see Robert Sala being on the hot seat. So I'm not buying it with the 11th best odds there. Now, the next name on this list is very interesting to me, and it's going to be David Culley. And David Culley was supposedly hired. He was previously the past game coordinator in Baltimore, 
and he was brought into Houston to kind of iron things over with Deshaun Watson. And really, uh, it, it didn't work. It was a failed attempt there. But it seems as though David Culley's kind of rallied the troops here. And he's he's really gotten the best out of this roster currently. I mean, look at what Davis Mills do a top, did to a top 10 defense into the New England Patriots last week. He's really got him firing on all cylinders and performing above what anybody expected. Expectations, albeit, was extremely low for them heading into the year here. But they're still living above it. So it would be tough to fire a guy when he is getting the best out of his players. But the only reason I would include him on my list that it, it, it is likely he would be fired is for the main reason he was hired. Is He was, he was hired here to smooth over the Deshaun Watson situation. It didn't work. Deshaun Watson may never play football again of his own doing. And now we have this this coach that we may or may not even be all that confident in. Now he has shown you some good signs, but say they only win one game the, re- the rest of the stretch here. I could see it being a one and done for David Culley. And honestly, he didn't deserve that. He didn't, he didn't deserve those expectations. But I could see them trying to start afresh anew with a, a new young face where they can build this team up from nothing after Deshaun Watson shipped out. So he honestly is the, the fifth coach on my list here. So when we're taking a look and surveying the situation here, that's the top 12 candidates uh, currently on Bet Online's odds online. I'm not even going to go into detail about the next one being Mike Tomlin because I don't think his seat's warm at all. Uh, honestly, he's the furthest thing from on the hot seat, in my opinion. And we do uh, a stop in at each division here, and really we, we kind of bounced around most of them already. I don't see like the Tennessee Titans. I don't see anyone in the AFC South being threatened other than the ones we covered already. In the NFC North, I'm also not seeing any anybody's seat being hot as we already covered three of them. And obviously the first place Packers aren't going to have a hot seat. In the NFC West, every team could make the playoffs here. They're not going to fire Pete Carroll after bringing them some Super Bowls. And in the NFC South, they just hired off Arthur Smith. They just hired... Excuse me. Oh, I apologize. Matt Rule a couple years back, and he's done a brilliant job of turning that team around as well. Sean Payton's a mainstay. He's 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 kind of cemented himself in uh, New Orleans folklore there as well. And obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming off a Super Bowl victory. In the NFC East, uh, Sirianni's a, a curious case, but they're coming off and they're having a couple wins here. I honestly, that's more wins than I was expecting for the Philadelphia Eagles. And with Joe Judge, we covered that already as well in Ron Rivera. And the Dallas Cowboys, obviously, in first place. We touched on the AFC South. We There's not really any options in the AFC East. And it's AFC North, every team is pretty much in it still, except maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers. And really, Mike Tomlin isn't going anywhere. And then the AFC West, John Gruden already has been let go, essentially, uh, we take a look at it. Andy Reid's a little bit underachieving here, but with his recent success, I, I think they'd give him a couple years to turn it around. So really, we're, we've kind of stopped in at every division along the way here, and I really don't see any opportunity for anybody else to be let go. It's it's a very a tough conversation, and honestly, there's going to be some surprises. So if you had to add a couple names here, maybe Joe Judge and Vic, Vic Fangio are kind of on the outside looking in, but 
I think you gotta you gotta buy some time for these guys. So honestly, our list ends up being Urban Meyer, uh, Joe, excuse me, Urban Meyer, Joe Judge, Mike Zimmer, Brian Flores, Zach Taylor, and David Cully being the six guys I could see being let go. So let us know your thoughts on who you think is most likely to be let go. And honestly, if we miss anybody, if you have a discussion point as to who deserves it over one of these guys, let us know. I'm very curious to hear what everybody else says. And maybe we'll check back in in about five, six weeks when the, the temperature gauge gets a little hotter for some of these guys. So that's going to be it for this week's episode. Hopefully everybody enjoyed uh, some of the stuff we threw out there with our storylines from last week and some of the NFL coaching stuff. I think it's always interesting to hit on that, especially coming off the heels of the John Gruden stuff. I just wanted to make sure we got our take out there on that just because it's it's kind of disgusting that uh, the NFL has some of these guys still in positions of power. And it's, it's, it's sad that we're not making progress in these situations, especially socially uh, in some of the most powerful people in sports. So uh, make sure you tune in next week, uh, rate, sub- subscribe, and review. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, like I said, we're going to try to come up with some new content pieces each week to add to our storylines and our predictions. Uh, feeling pretty good about the ones this week coming off a of 12 and 4 week. I think we're going to be red hot again. So make sure you tune in, see how we do, and use them for your own discretion. Otherwise, we'll see you next week, and thanks for tuning in.